All right, we're back. <laughs> we are on a journey. We've been on a journey the last couple of weeks. We are in the book of Zechariah that most, you know, people that go, Zechariah who? And so, you know, we're there. Uh, Zechariah was a prophet in ancient Israel and uh, brought God's word to God's people at a time that they needed to hear it. We need to hear the message as well. And so we're looking at what God might have to say to us. How many of you guys have ever had... How many of you guys have moments in your life that you are just immensely proud of? Anybody? You look back, you say, you know, that was, that was pretty good, what happened there. Okay, how many of you guys have moments in your life that you wish would just kind of be forgotten forever? <laughs> right? Right. Okay, I, I want us to dig a little bit deeper in that. How many of you guys have those things? What about those things that are deeper than just those moments? How many of us in this room have those things that go beyond embarrassment? Actually, they're... They're places where we have shame, shame. Because, you know, moments, moments pass. And so those things that bring embarrassment, they just kind of fade away over time. But who we are, right, our, our identity, our being, that stays with us. And that's where this thing called shame lives. Because shame is that thing where we, don't, we believe that there's something that, we, that is in us that makes us unlovable, unlovable to God, unlovable to others, unlovable often even to ourselves. Today, I really believe that God is here and that he is wanting to set some of us here free from shame. Break, the, break those chains that have held you Break open those, those doors of those prisons where you have been, been a prisoner, you have been held captive by this thing called shame. Because God's intention for you, he has not called you, he has not created you to live in a darkness, to live in isolation, to live captive and chained up. He has created and called you so that you might live in freedom that you might walk in his light and in his life, the life that was given to us through Jesus Christ. That's God's intention. That has always been God's intention. And that's why in the book of Zechariah, this passage that we're going to be reading, it's all about shame. He was dealing with the same thing with his people then as he is with his people now. And so let's stand together. We're going to look at Zechariah verse, um, chapter four, verse one through eight. It says, then the angel of the Lord showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of the Lord, and Satan was standing on his right side to accuse him. But the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Now Joshua was, was clothed in filthy garments, and standing before the angel, and the angel said to those who were standing in front of him, remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to Joshua, see, I have taken your iniquity away from you, and I will clothe you with robes for celebration. Then I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. And they put a clean turban on his head, and they clothed him in the robes while the angel of the Lord was standing by. And then the angel of the Lord admonished Joshua, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, if you will walk in my ways and perform my service, then you will also govern my house and have charge of my courts, and I will grant you free access among those who are standing here in the heavenly places. And listen, Joshua, high priest, 
and your associates who are sitting with you. Indeed, all of you are those who are but a symbol, for behold, I am going to bring in my servant, the branch. Have you ever felt like every time that you go to God, that you go to him in prayer, or you try to come before him, that Satan's right there with you? He's right there at your right side, and he is ready to accuse you, not just for the things that you've done, but for who you are or for who you have become. In that place where God knows everything, right? In that place where, where God, um, he is impeccably, impeccably perfect in himself, right? There's no fault in him. And in that place, it is, it is impossible to ignore what we bring with us when we come into his presence. And even if we would try to ignore it, Satan's there to accuse us of it and to bring it to light. You guys, that is our shame. That is our shame, and that is why often we don't want to even come before God. And the problem is, is that God just doesn't, he doesn't dismiss it, does he? He doesn't just say, oh, that's okay, you know, you guys are okay. Because that would do nothing to free us from the grip of shame. It would still be there, and it has a deadly grip wherever it's found. God, instead, he reaches in to remove it from us completely, to wash us from it completely. And we need to know not just how he does that, but we also need to know why. This morning, this message is titled, A New Identity. Father, this morning, we need to hear from you in this place. I know many of us, if not all of us, are standing and we, we get it. We get what it means to stand before you and just feel completely undeserving, completely just filthy before you. We know what it feels like to have Satan standing on the right-hand side. And we know that every any time that we would try to we would try to justify or we would try to minimize that he would be there to condemn. We know what that feels like. But Father, often we haven't pressed in to know what it feels like for you to remove that shame, to break those chains, to release us from those prisons. You we don't know what that feels like. We don't always know what it feels like to be washed clean the blood of Jesus. So Father, I pray that you would be here because I, I know that you have put on my heart that you are here this morning to free some of us from that grip. So Father, come and have your way. Come and have your way. We open our hearts and we open the space. We open our, our eyes and our ears, our ears to your word, our eyes for your face. So come and have your way. Pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You can have a seat. When I started into ministry, I started as a middle school director. I was working with about 100 7th and 8th graders, um, which is, you know, many of you, that's your idea of heaven. Um, so <laughs> each spring, we would take our graduating 8th graders and we'd go on a camp out. And so we'd go up to Fort Collins and there's this, this canyon, river canyon off to the, to the west. And we'd go up there and we'd spend a couple of days out camping. 
Um, on this particular camp out, we had uh, two 15-passenger vans packed with these eighth grade students, all of our gear, and we pull in. The problem was, was as we were pulling in, it was just pouring down rain. And so uh, we're, we're kind of, we got together with the leaders and we're like, well, what do we do? You know, are we gonna call this thing off? Are we gonna pack up, go home? And, and they decided, no, let's just go for it, right? So, so we get out and we haul out our tents. We're setting these things up in this just drenching downpour. And so by the time we're done, you know, just everything is just wet. And, and, and the, it ends up that the, the rain did stop and actually the sun comes out. I mean, that's not unusual for Colorado. So, so it just, but now you have all this soaking wet stuff. And now it's not just soaking wet. It's, it's soaking wet. It's gross. It's, and it's starting to steam, right? And so it's just perfect environment for a middle school camp out, right? So um, we're in it. And, and uh, that night though, because you know, everything was still wet and everything was still muddy, the kids came and they said, hey, uh, can we just sleep outside? Because it was actually drier probably outside than it was in those tents. And, uh, and we said, yeah, sure. So there we are. We're in two rows of sleeping bags. You know, we're all laying uh, under the stars. It was beautiful. It was just pitch black out there. We were kind of the only ones in the, in the area. And um, they're just laughing and talking and joking. And it was one of those great times. And all of a sudden, off to the side, we hear these two guys. And they start, start into this dialogue from one of their favorite movies. Now, some of you guys might recognize this movie. But one, he says in his best Canadian accent, he says, hey, get off my side, eh? And he, the other guy, he says, no, no, take off, you knob. And uh, the other guy says, well, uh, hey, you're on my side. If you don't get off my side, I'm going to steamroll you. And the other guy says, no, no, don't steamroll me, man. And, and, and then he, the first guy, he yells, steamroller, at which point he, he then rolls over the whole line of, of sleeping bags of all the kids and all the volunteers and me, right? Well, that, then everything cut loose, right? <laughs> because then everybody's yelling, steamroller, and they're rolling over each other, and they're rolling all over this meadow, and they're, they're rolling all over the place. Um, well, then at one point, somebody yells out, hey, who ripped one? Now, <laughs> now I got to tell you, if you've never worked with middle schoolers, if you've never had a middle schooler, if you've never been a middle schooler, which I don't know how that would work out, but... Um, you may not realize, but all of middle school humor comes from uh, a few sources. And one of the main sources has to do with these methane emissions uh, made by humans. So um, for the next hour, we're hearing, steamroller, and what stinks, and who ripped one? And it's echoing off the walls of the canyon, you know, filling the beauty of the night. Um, well, slowly over time, that kind of dies down and everybody falls asleep. Well, the next morning we wake up and we're surveying kind of uh, the chaos, which is us. And uh, we're looking out and we're, we're realizing, okay, all the kids are here, we're good. You know, everybody's, nobody's falling in a river or something. And, but as we're looking also and, and surveying our environment, we realize that this area that we're, we're um, laying out under the stars and that we're um, having so much fun, is actually not just a camping area, it's actually an um, open grazing area for cattle. <laughs> so, and there are these piles of the fertilizer that they produce. Uh, that have been nicely softened up by all the rain. Um, so that is what we've been rolling in all night and been rolling in over each other all night. And that is really the smell and the contents that follows us then for the rest of the trip because we have everything packed in the vans. or we're, So we're, literally, we're reminded of this moment uh, the rest of the trip until we can finally get home and get showers. Now... Some of you are going, that's a great story, but what does it have to do with Zechariah? 
Zechariah, it says that he's standing before God and he's standing with Satan on his right and he's ready to accuse him, but it says here that he is dressed in filthy garments. And this isn't talking about garments. If you look at the language, literally, it's not talking about garments that have a few grass stains on them or that he spilled some soup from lunch. It's talking about not only are these garments, the word filthy here, it means that it's not like he just rolled in a cow pasture. It's like he went down to the intake tank at the, at the sewage treatment plant and he's been rolling in that. That kind of filth. That's what's being conveyed here. And he has come before God covered from head to toe in that kind of filth. When we stand before God truly in all of his perfection, in all of his beauty, in all of his holiness, we cannot help but see how covered we are in failure and sin and brokenness and filth. And if we ever try to forgive it, forget it or to minimize it, Satan is right there. And he reminds us. He reminds us of how we look. You know, sometimes we carry shame. We carry this this covering, this stuff that we're ashamed of that we wish would just go away. We carry it sometimes because of things that we have done. And many of us have a soul that is scarred by a shame of something that we have done, an offense that we know that we just do not want anyone, let alone God, we don't want anyone to know about. Some of us carry shame not because of what we've done, but because of what others have done to us. Things that we believe make us so unworthy of anyone's love, of anyone's just make us offensive, repulsive to them. Some of us carry shame because we look inside and we see a brokenness in us and it just seems to go so deep into who we are. We see how how deep that brokenness goes and how far and how consistently it makes us fall from who we want to be who we know we should be, who we know that God created us to be. It's not just like a little bit here and there. It is covering us. And and when we strip away all that that stuff that we use in our everyday life to try and minimize it or to try and hide it from others or to try and even avoid it ourselves, when we strip all that away, because that's what happens when we come before God, Everything, all those deceptions, they're just, they're stripped away and all we're left with is ourselves. Everyone in the place becomes keenly aware of who we really are. That's why we don't like coming to God sometimes because we know that's what we're gonna see and we know that that's what he's gonna see. But I want you to notice something in Zechariah. Do you notice that is not where God leaves it? I want you to hear that. That is not where God leaves it. Because he never does. Never. So many times we avoid God. We avoid being with God. We avoid going to him in prayer. We avoid opening up ourselves to him in worship. We avoid um, just being with him in life because we are convinced that when we stand before him, He will be looking at this filth and this failure and this shame, and he will demand, and rightfully so, that that be removed from his presence and the person who brought it in with it. That's what terrifies us. 
But do you see that that is not what he does? Because that is never what he does. I, I, I cannot say that enough. Instead, God becomes Joshua's advocate. And he says, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. Why? Because the filth wasn't real? No, it was real. And he was covered in it. But, and this is that why. I said, we need to know how God does this, but we need to know the why. He is covered in this filth, but he was also covered by something else. He is covered by this eternal, unchanging, unexplainable love of God. God didn't see him with these these eyes that were condemning him for the things that he had done or for the person that he had become or for the things that had been done to him. Instead, God was seeing him with the eyes that had chosen him before time had even begun. God was seeing him with the eyes of the one who had chosen to rescue him from this filth and from this brokenness before he was ever born. And so he turns to Satan and he says, indeed, the Lord who has chosen Jerusalem says to you, the Lord rebuke you. Because is this not a brand that I have plucked from out of the midst of the fire? Do you know that when Satan stands on your right-hand side, he stands there and he begins his accusations and he calls out the obvious of the failure and the filth and the brokenness and the incompleteness and all of that, he calls that out in your life. Do you know that it is God who stands up as your advocate for you against him? He doesn't influence God's decisions. God is standing as your advocate in that place. And even more than that, God is standing for us before we even get cleaned up. Right? We don't go to God and say, God, you know, I got everything together now. You can take me in. He says, no. He stands as our advocate in that place before anything changes. And then he washes us clean. That's when he, God turns and he says to the, or the angel says, he says to those standing in front of him, remove these filthy garments from him. And then he says to Joshua, see, I have taken your iniquity away from you and I will clothe you with these robes for celebration. These weren't just any clothes. These weren't just any robes. We definitely weren't the rags that we probably deserve to be clothed in. These were like the best robes that are only taken out for the, the most important celebrations, the most important occasions. And God says, these are the ones that I'm going to clothe you with. And then he puts a turban on his head. And the turban on his head says to everyone in the room that, that Joshua has been restored to a position, a position of, of meaning, a position of importance, a position of influence, a position of honor. And so he puts the turban on his head and he puts these clothes on. And at that point, it's kind of like the, you know, the older son in the, the prodigal son story, right? Because a lot of times we look at that and we go, what? Are you kidding me? Right? After all they did, because all of a sudden you see somebody in all their ugliness, you know, of all the sin that they carry, and you go, did you see all that they have done? Did you see all the filth that they've dragged into your presence? But that is what God does. 
He did it for Joshua. That's what he hear, and he's here. He said, I'm here to do that for you. I'm here to advocate for you. I am here to clothe you in not just the rags, not just the thing, whatever I could find, but in the best that I have and establish you as my own and give you honor and a position in my family and in my kingdom. You know, all of that, we read that and it sounds kind of easy, but I want you to know this and we need to, we need to remember this. That's what he does. That doesn't mean that it was easy. That's, to do that, that's what cost Jesus his life. To do that, that's why he had to pour out his own blood. To do that, that's why his body was shredded. So it wasn't easy, but he wants us to know it wasn't easy, but it's enough. It's enough. In Isaiah 118, God is calling to his people. He says, come, let us reason together. And what that means is, come, let's talk about this situation together. Let's talk about what you're bringing, but let's talk about what I'm bringing to the table too. And he says, because this is what the Lord says, though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. And though they are red like crimson, they're going to look like wool. Now, I don't know how he accomplishes that. None of us do. But he says, I will get this done. Let's reason together. I want you to know what I'm planning on doing with you. Because that is what God does. It is enough. It doesn't matter how much sin I carry. It doesn't matter how much shame covers me. It doesn't matter whether it was because of something I have done or because of something someone has done to me. It doesn't matter if it's just the fact that I am broken so deeply inside that I just cannot seem to align anything with what God desires me to do because it goes so much to the core of who I am. The blood of Jesus is enough. It's enough, amen, to make us clean, to change the whole color of things from red into white as snow, pure, we go, God, I don't know how you would ever do that. You don't know the filth that I'm... Yes, he does. He says, it wasn't easy, but it's enough. Through Jesus, we find that his blood restores us to that place of significance, that place of honor as his child. That we we're given access to the heavenly places because of what Jesus has done so in him, we find that God himself stands up as our advocate. That God himself is the one who pours out, who, who makes, lays out the sacrifice for us so that these things would be possible. God himself pours out his blood so that we might be clean. And then God himself takes us and restores us to a life. And not just any life. Not just the life we deserve or the life that we came from. His own life. His life. I love the last verse in this passage where the angel says, listen, Joshua, you're the high priest and listen, all you others who are sitting there with him, all of you are symbols, your signs, your reflections, your echoes of the one who's coming. Because he said, I'm, I'm, I'm gonna be sending in the one that I'm gonna bring in my servant, the branch. 
He's the one that's gonna accomplish all of this. And you're like, you're reflections of him. You know, Joshua, who's the high priest, Zerubbabel, who's the king, he's, he's ruling over all the people, all, all of the, the, um, the elders, all of the, the, the priests in the place. He says, you know what, you, you are, um, I am bringing you into this life. It's not just kind of the second round of your best shot at it. You know, if God just gave us our, he cleans us up and he throws us back in there as we were, all that would happen is we would just cover ourselves with failure and with filth and with sin and with brokenness again, because we don't have it. Instead, he says, you know what? I'm going to take my life and I'm going to put it in you. I'm going to, I'm going to remove this, the shame and the shame of the, a life that cannot, is not even capable of standing before. I'm going to remove that from you. I'm going to put it into you instead this, this life of my own so that you will begin to reflect more and more and more my servant branch, Jesus. More and more every day, you'll see that this, this life starts pushing its way outward and you start reflecting more and more of my character and my heart and the one who I have sent. So whether you lived hundreds of years before Jesus or whether you, we live you know, thousands of years after him, God's salvation, the, the life that he gives us is, is that we get to reflect him. We get to have this life of, of, of his spirit living in us. So God just doesn't clean us up. Instead, he transplants his heart into us, right? He takes out our old broken thing, all the shame with it. He puts in this life is pleasing to him. And again, it's not simple. We don't understand how in the world he does this. This is a transplant. It's not like, you know, we found out how hard it is to take a heart out or a lung out. But here he's taking a life out without killing the patient. And instead he's restoring this new, this, this beauty, this purity this righteousness in us. You guys, I said at the beginning that God is here. He's here and he's here to meet some of us here today who are carrying shame. And I, the shame that comes because of the things that we have done, that's painful, that is, that is crushing. But the shame that comes because of what others have done to us that many people carry, that's relentless. That's one of those things that we think maybe, you know, I could, if I had done something wrong, I could ask forgiveness for that. I could understand that. But what do you do with the thing that mars you, that covers you, that makes you feel unworthy, that you had nothing to do with? And... God is here because he says, I don't care what kind of shame it is. I don't care what kind of filth it is that covers you. The blood of Jesus is enough to remove that from you and to replace it instead with his life, his beauty, his purity, his new garment, and not just ordinary ones. These are like the special occasion garments that you get to wear. And he establishes you in a position that you never thought possible. So he puts a turban on your head and says, this is my honored one. This is my child. This is my, this is my chosen, my favored one. 
We can't even imagine ourselves in that place. Because we know who we are. I said, you know, it's not easy, but it's enough. It's not easy, but that's what he does. So this morning, God is here. He is here to replace some of those robes. And so I, I want you to close your eyes. I want you to think about if you don't fall into one of these two places. Because some of you are here and you need to find freedom for the first time. You've been avoiding God for a long time because you know who you are. You know what you've done. You know what's been done to you. You know the failure. You know the sin. You know the filth that covers you. And you know the one that stands at your right side and accuses you regularly, but you have greatly misjudged God and his love for you, that why. You've greatly misjudged how deep that love is, how wide it is, how high it reaches, that it could reach to the bottom and beyond of the deepest pit that you could ever be in. And it covers you. Jesus is here to free you. He's here to free you from the chains that that shame has brought. He is here to wash you clean in his blood. And it is simply, it is as easy as just simply lifting your face to him. Looking up to him, he's there. He always has been. You've been walking around with your head down in shame and guilt and condemnation as the voice of the enemy has been persistent and relentless in your life. But he is there if you will look up. If you will look up and ask that by his blood you might be made clean. that by his power you might be reborn. So there are some of you that need to look and talk to Jesus right now about that. You guys, I wanna tell you, if you will, it sounds easy. It wasn't easy. It sounds simple. It's not simple. But he does leave to us a piece that we can actually handle which is just look up to him and he will do the work of transforming. You will not be the same and you will not be left with the shame, with the brokenness, with the filth, with the failure. You will not be left with it. So if that's you, I I really, I mean, look to Jesus, have that conversation with him right now. And he will do this. There's some of you guys here who need to be reminded of who you are. (laughs) Because you've already been washed and cleansed. You've already been redressed in the robes of celebration. You've already been reborn and remade. You already have a new heart. You already stand in the heavenly places as a child of God recognized and with full access to that place, to your father's throne. But Satan still comes and he tries to convince you that you are what you once were and you're not. 
When God changes us, when he transforms us, <laughs> he doesn't go back on it. It doesn't, it doesn't regress. It takes over. The kingdom of God doesn't retreat. It just advances. If it has been placed and planted in you, it is advancing. And it is in you. You need to be reminded because that, that Satan's voice in your ear that you're, you're not any more than you used to be is messing you up. It's messing up your thinking. It's messing up your worship. It's messing up your peace. It's messing up. It's depriving you of your right to stand before God and to pray in full, just access without any condemnation before him. You've been acting as if you're still guilty, as if you're still filthy, and it's time for you too to be freed from the lie and the deception that the blood of Jesus wasn't enough. That somehow that first time his power wasn't enough to quite fix you. So what's the solution there? You too need to lift your face and look again to your savior, to the one who has saved you, who has never changed, who has never left you. You too need to listen to him. It says that the spirit is constantly in us, reminding us that we are the children of God now. We're not under condemnation. We're not under bondage. We're not captive to anyone except to our Lord, to our our father in heaven. Our hearts have been completely captured by him. You need to let him remind you of what is true because it was eternal when you received it and it hasn't changed. But do you see what the solution is? <laughs> it's always we've got to look up to Jesus. Always. We always have to look up to him. He's the one who's our advocate. He is the one who is our, he's the sacrifice. He is the solution. He is our life. He is everything. Guys, I believe if you will take the moment, no matter which of those two groups you're in, if you will just take that moment to look up to the face of Jesus, I believe that he will set you free. He will set you free. Completely. From the inside out, transform you. Our previous identity was guilt and shame and filth, failure. But because we are new creations in Jesus, because he stood as our advocate, because we have been washed in the blood of the lamb, because we have been raised in the power of the spirit, that is our new identity. And it does not end. It does not stop. It doesn't stumble. It doesn't fall. The kingdom advances and it's still growing in you. Amen?